as you're opening to Mark chapter 3, I'm going to pray. God, we are very, very thankful to get to be in your house, to get to be surrounded by people who love you and love us. Thank you for this community. Thank you for this church and what you're doing in it. God, we submit ourselves to you right now, submit ourselves to you in this moment for you to speak to us, for us to listen to what you're saying. Lord, for you to to guide us, move us, direct us. Uh, We don't want to leave this place the exact same way as what we came in. So Lord, give us encouragement where we need it to continue. Give us correction where we need it to stop something and pick something else up. Give us wisdom, guidance. But Lord, we all, we look to you for all of this. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your moving, for your guiding. Jesus, we want you to be lifted up this morning. I pray that as we read these stories of your life and of who you are, that you would be lifted high, that you would draw us to yourself and conform us more into your image as we follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. If you've got your Bibles, Mark chapter 3. We're going to be covering a few stories here, so I'll be going relatively quickly. But I want in these stories for us to kind of profile and look at the different responses to Jesus. We are, again, in the same series. We're on the road with Jesus. We're looking at his life. We're looking at the things he said, the things that he did, the people who were around him. And we're looking to this man for, honestly, if we boil it down, literally everything. If this man is who he said he was, the Son of God, the Messiah, then our existence depends on who he is. Every single thing, you know, I can't, we can't say enough just the gravity and the weight of it. Uh, he's not just someone that we learn about and we feel better because of it. He's not just someone with great ideas that we could learn from. He really is life itself. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody lives the fulfilled life that God has called them to live and set for them to live outside of this man, Jesus Christ. He's everything. And so us spending some time walking this road with him, seeing what he did, seeing who he was, what he was like, it draws different responses out of us. It brings things brings things out of us. Like there's no way to interact or to think about or to pray about Reflect on Jesus. There's no way to do that without it causing some kind of a reaction. You know, I was never good in chemistry, but things that I do remember is that you put two different things together and stuff happens. That's about all I got out of chemistry class. But Jesus is like one of these like agents that, is that my phone? Man, why is this two weeks in a row? Keep hearing dings. It's not me. That's one of you. So... You can come down to the altar for prayer later. But uh, Jesus is, uh, you know, one of those agents, one of those things that you put something with it and something's going to happen. There's no just basic, regular, nothing response. There's, there's all kinds of responses. And so last week, we looked at an example from Jesus' life where people were upset. He healed a man on the Sabbath, and people were very upset by that. And it talked about people conspiring to destroy him. 
afterwards. And so I would label those people foes, enemies, completely against Jesus. Like that's what they saw out of his life. And their reaction was, I'm completely against him. And maybe there's somebody like that in the building this morning. Honestly, I'm going to pray that God would work on your heart, that you would be open to Jesus. But that's honestly not everybody. That's not a lot of people. Really, even if you look at Jesus's life, that was kind of a minority of the people. Many people had different responses to him. And so the different responses that we're going to look at this morning from these stories in Jesus's life, I'm going to label in three ways. And I want each of us to ask this question. Am I a fan of Jesus? Am I a follower of Jesus? Or am I too familiar with Jesus? Fan, follower, or too familiar? Those are some different responses that we see, aside from the Pharisees, the people who just straight up wanted to kill him. Okay, so we, there's different responses here, and I think that um, they drastically impact how we live our lives. Am I a fan of Jesus? Am I a follower of Jesus? Or am I just too familiar with Jesus? So, Let's get into this. I know those uh, might sound strange, but let's get into what I mean here. So starting in Mark chapter 3, verse 7, I'm going to read a story here, and this, this kind of highlights the fans of Jesus, the, the crowds, the fans. Starting in verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So this first bit, this response to Jesus' ministry, they had heard so much about what Jesus had done and a great crowd pressed around him to try to access, get what he was giving. They had heard all these stories about him casting out evil spirits, healing every disease, preaching with authority, and the crowd wanted that. So this is who I would identify as the fan of Jesus. Fans of Jesus. And I'll tell you this, on the surface, first and foremost, fans are good. It's not bad to have fans, to be fans. But um, I'll go ahead and put the cards on the table here. This is not exactly where God wants us to be. This is a good starting point. If you're here this morning and you're a fan of Jesus, if you're like, hey, I'm pro-Jesus. I think he's good. I think he's great. I think he's awesome. I'd get his autograph if he were here. I like Jesus. Good. That's That's a good place to be. But I would push a little bit further still and say, if you are still just a fan of Jesus after years of knowing about him, and if you've been a fan for a long, long time, I think God wants to ask you to come a little bit deeper. I think God wants to ask you for a little bit of a different kind of relationship with him than just a fan. So let me talk about this a little bit more. Fans. Fans have a particular kind of relationship with the people that they're fans of. Um, And it's not actually that close. It's not that intimate. It's not that personal, right? I'm sure everybody in here is a fan of some kind of musician or basketball team or football or whatever, author. 
We're all fans of some kind of people. And that's great. There's a lot of passion, honestly, around fandom. You can get really passionate. You can get really excited. So you can get really excited and passionate about Jesus, which is good, but you might could still be just a fan. We can't just let passion and excitement be the only indicator of, is this person truly a follower of Jesus? I can get super duper, very, very excited about my favorite basketball team. And then I don't think about them the next day. And it doesn't make me a part of the team. It doesn't put me on the team, but it just makes me a fan. It makes me excited about them. And that's it. That's the extent of the relationship. Fans can go wrong. Fans can get it wrong, uh, in case you didn't know that. My wife and I were just recently watching a documentary about this event that has come to be called The Malice in the Palace. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say that? The malice in the palace. So I'm a basketball fan. I'm a fan of basketball. And this is something I remember happening in the early 2000s at a basketball game, uh, NBA game. The malice of the palace. The place was called the Palace of Auburn Hills. It's where the Detroit Pistons play their basketball games. So it came to be called the malice of the palace because these players started to get into an argument, which if you watch basketball, you see that happens from time to time. Maybe some shoving, some words exchanged, but something different happened this day. This particular evening, one of the fans decided to throw like a Coke can at one of the players, threw it from the stands at one of the players, hit him, and a brawl erupted from there between fans and players just getting into it with one another. And it was this, just this huge ordeal, really, honestly, terrible. It's a really sad event that took place. But can I get a witness that fans don't always know what the heck they're doing? Fans can be fickle, honestly. They, maybe they thought that they were doing what's right by their team by throwing a, a can at the opposing player. But even in this documentary, the players for the, t- the home team, they were saying, we didn't want that to happen. Like, these fans don't recognize that we're actually friends. We spend time together off the court. We could get in a fight on the court, but then we leave and we're okay. These, the fans didn't know actually what was going on. They thought, hey, I'm helping my team out. Here's this. And that is not at all what they wanted. That's not what they actually wanted to happen. The fans got it wrong. Fans can get it wrong sometimes. Another thing that stuck out with me, you know, I just, maybe there's too many examples, but a football game, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I've seen so many clips of a football game where the fans started to rush the field thinking that their team had won, but the game wasn't over yet. Have you seen that? Or the guys running through like band members and fans and ends up scoring the touchdown. The team lost as they were celebrating on the field. Yeah, sometimes fans can get it totally wrong. Just be completely wrong. Out on the field celebrating a game that their team just lost, probably because of them. They were getting in the way of their team actually making the tackle to finish it. So fans can get it really wrong. And honestly, too, fans can sometimes get in the way. That doesn't mean that there's not excitement. doesn't mean that there's not passion. Again, you can be so passionate about things that you're a fan of. But again, fans can get it super duper wrong. And here's the deal. Fans, ultimately, this is the problem with just a fan. And again, I'm talking about Jesus here. This great crowd that was following Jesus. One of the things that ultimately fans can get it wrong in is fans are ultimately there for themselves. Fans are there 
for what they get out of it. Again, I told you I'm a, I'm a fan of the Dallas Mavericks, a basketball team. And I'm all for them. I, they're so great. I could cheer them on all day. But if they lose, I don't like that. And I'm mad at them. <laughs> I'm upset with them for losing. And the relationship is completely one way. What am I getting out of this? How am I gaining pleasure from what you're doing? The fan is ultimately just about themselves. That fan that threw the beer can or Coke can, whatever, at the player, that it's all just, a, it's a self-centered relationship. I'm a fan because of what I'm, I am getting out of the person that I'm cheering for. And that's what was going on with Jesus here. First of all, this, these fans, so much so that, of course, Jesus loves everyone, but he's having to make arrangements with his disciples saying, get a boat ready because I'm going to have to get out of here because these, this crowd is going to, as verse 9 says it, he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Lest they crush him. Listen, we need fans of Jesus. We need people to hear the message of Jesus, to have their imaginations and their hearts pricked and to think how great this could possibly be. But listen, if we are all only fans, if, if Jesus only has fans, that cannot sustain the move that God wants to do in the earth. That's not enough for what God wants to do. If we have a church full of fans, if we all come to church on a Sunday morning thinking, what am I going to get out of this? Micah better preach real good today. Or the band better play my, you know, good jam or else I'm not going to be able to worship good enough. Or what is God going to give to me? If we all come to this as fans, y'all, we're going to crush the move that God wants to do. We're going to crush the move of God. We're going to stifle it because that's not how Jesus came to set this thing up. He didn't come to say, okay, here I am. Time to get a huge crowd really, really hyped for me. Time to get my fans signed up. No, Jesus wanted to do something different. What the, the next little bit as the story goes on, you can go from fan to follower. And this is what we truly, truly want. This is another response to Jesus, to truly follow him. Uh, so going, going from there, from verse 12 now into 13. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to them those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. You can go and uh, you can read the rest of that. I'm not going to read all the names, but you can read the names of the 12 apostles that he, he got there with him on the mountain. And so again, like I said, you can go from a fan to a follower. You can become a follower. And this is where Jesus truly wants us to be. A question that I think is important to ask us, if you're thinking, okay, where am I a fan? Am I a follower? If to say, Am I a fan? When is the last time that God told you no? Or when is the last time that God told you to wait? Or to stop what you're doing? When's the last time you put down something that you really liked doing because God asked you not to do that anymore? When's the last time you made a hard decision to say no to your own self for the sake of what God has for you to do? Even if it's not sin. God might ask you to quit something that's not sinful. 
It's not because he doesn't like you. He doesn't want you to have fun. But honestly, sometimes it's just to redirect our hearts and guide our hearts into a place where we're not just being a fan, but we're truly following. That's why we do things like fasting. We talked about fasting some last week. That's why fasting is a thing. It's not sinful to eat. Thank you, Jesus. It's not sinful to eat, but sometimes as a follower of Jesus, you just lay that down for a second. If nothing else, if for no other reason than to remind your own flesh that it is not in control, that you are following someone else besides yourself. So if you're thinking, am I a fan? Am I a follower? Ask that question. When's the last time you just said no to yourself? When's the last time you heard God say no to you and you agreed with him and went with him even though you didn't want to? That might be a good indicator that you're not just a fan here that you're actually following. It's so good for people to be excited about God. It's so good for people to seek his gifts and seek his healing. We're, we're sitting here this morning praying for healing. That's a good gift. But listen, if we're only here praying for healing, asking God to heal us, and there's no other part of the relationship where I'm actually following him, I'm actually laying down my desires, I'm actually trying to align myself more to his word and what he says, if it's just about what I'm getting, I'm a fan, and ultimately that's going to crush what God wants to do. But again, we can move to this place of following. Jesus, he called these disciples, these apostles to himself. These are people that were called to him. Someone who followed Jesus up the mountain. I don't know if you've ever climbed a mountain, but it's not necessarily easy to do. So following Jesus, honestly, there's some work involved. Jesus, it says here in this verse 13 that he went up to the mountain and he called them to himself. So people who are willing to follow him, even in the middle of a hard thing. And listen, you don't have to be perfect to be an apostle. You don't have to always get it right to be this disciple, to be this follower of him. You don't, we don't have to be the same. We don't have to think the same. We don't have to look the same. Honestly, as I was going through this list of names, I know I didn't read it, but going through this list of names of just the types of people that were followers of Jesus, they didn't all look the same. They didn't all have the same political affiliations or the same characteristics. Literally, the thing that they had in common was that they were following Jesus. That's what it was. So the profile of an apostle, if you want to look at it, there were people included, a guy named Simon the Zealot, who I think we talked about this a little bit ago with uh, Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. We've got Matthew, the tax collector on one side, who's collecting money for the Roman Empire from Jews. And we've got this guy, Simon the Zealot, who zealots were a Jewish sect who hated the Roman Empire and thought everybody who supported them were traitors. These guys were on the same team. These guys were both considered followers of Jesus, not because of their political sameness, but because of their following Jesus. They're guys that he called to himself and they went up to the mountain and followed him. There's people, if you look through this list, Jesus named two guys sons of thunder. He gave them the name sons of thunder because they were boisterous. They were loud. They were intense and in your face kind of people. And there's another guy that throughout church history, we call James the Less. Because his name was James, but he was just not the other James. James the Less is what he's come to be called. So you've got Sons of Thunder, and you've got James the Less. Same team. 
So it's not that followers of Jesus have to be these super boisterous in your face, like you hear every word they say kind of people. And it's not that they have to be these only behind closed doors, never heard, speak when spoken to kind of people. There's room for different personalities. There's room for different characteristics and different kinds of traits. But these are people who are following Jesus. And what's so cool about this, it says here that uh, he brought them to himself. I'm going to go here to uh, verse, uh, we'll go back to 13. So he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named disciples, so that they might be with him, and and he sent them out to preach, to have authority to cast out demons. These people, these followers of Jesus, are called to be with him and called to be sent out. Called to be with Jesus and called to be sent out. So again, distinguishing between a follower and a fan. Of all the people that I've been fans of in my life, I've, I don't think I've ever actually spent time with them. I see them from a distance. I see what they're doing way over there and I, I celebrate and I'm like, yeah, that's so cool. But I don't actually have an intimate personal relationship with them. Jesus, if you want to not just be a fan, but a follower, these are people who he's called to himself, to be close to him, to be personal with them. It's hard being a follower sometimes, because, or to be a fan sometimes, because you think that God is always just around the next corner. Maybe you've met people like that. I know they're not in the building this morning, but just that feeling that God's just always around the next corner, like he's just out of reach. That's why they're always seeking the next big conference or the next whatever. Like maybe God's just right over there and maybe just if I just try a little bit harder, maybe he's just over there. Well, fans, you know, the thing that they're cheering for is always just out of reach. But with Jesus, he's like, I'm right here. Jesus, by way of sending his Holy Spirit in us has made it to where we can communicate with him. We can hear from him. God is right here with us, closer than our own breath, just always, always right there and wanting to be intimate with us, wanting to speak to us. So if we're going to be with him as followers, how much time are we making space in our lives for him to speak? How much are we getting into his word to hear what he has to say here? How much time are we spending just quietly to hear what his words are. He wants to be with us. For followers, he wants to be with us. And then too, he wants to send us out with authority. Followers are not just always sitting right there. Yes, he, he had them with him, but he also sent them out with authority to go preach, to go cast out demons, to go do the things that he was doing. So again, followers, man, we're spending time with Jesus, but we're also out doing Jesus's work in the world. Praying for people, laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. Casting demons out of people. Who ever wants to cast a demon out of somebody? Yeah. Everybody's like, sign me up. But honestly, that's what Jesus, he's calling his disciples, he's calling his followers to do, to walk with that kind of authority and that kind of power to go and do the work that Jesus was doing. That's what a follower does, not just a fan. A fan's like, "Mm, Jesus, I'd like to see you do some cool stuff, but don't ask me to do anything. Jesus, show me what you can do. Show me your power. Show me your strength. But I don't want to be involved in this. (laughs) Having a, a couple steps away just to see it from a distance. Well, followers, 
again, they have intimacy and relationship that fans don't have access to, and they have empowerment and strength that fans don't have access to either. People who've chosen to follow Jesus. That's what I want our church to be. I want us to be people who see this Jesus and choose to follow him, say no to our own desires, yes to his, spend intimate time with him, and go and do the work that he's been doing all along, be engaged in it. And so another profile of people, responses to Jesus that I want us to talk about is people who are too familiar. Uh, I'll read the next couple verses here, and then we'll talk about this. What do I mean by too familiar? So uh, picking up in verse 20, after the disciples are listed, says, then Jesus, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Again, fans can get in the way sometimes. Couldn't even eat. The crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. Y'all, did y'all know that Jesus had family problems? That kind of normalizes things for us, right? If Jesus could have problems with his family, if his family could say he's out of his mind, maybe you're not too crazy if your family thinks you're out of your mind too, all right? I, I think family, family troubles befall each and every one of us. But here Jesus even isn't exempt. Uh, his family thought he was crazy. And this is where I would put in the too familiar category. When you grow up with somebody, whenever you spend day in, day out with somebody, then you get so familiar with them that you can start to overlook their greatness. Husbands, wives, I'm going to speak to y'all for just a second. You could spend years and years, you could spend 57 years with somebody and be so familiar with them that those things that you really loved and cherished about them from the very beginning, those things that you were like, oh man, it's so great how they, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I can't give an example. But this is things that you really valued and just loved so much. And then over time and over familiarity and over just being around it day in and day out can be like, oh, you're doing that again? Really? Okay, this is getting old after 57 years. However many years. Over time, you can become too familiar. Some of those things that you once cherished and you once loved and you once thought were so great, so awesome, can start to dull a little bit, not so shiny anymore. And of course, you know, that's husbands, wives, that's family members, that's whatever. But honestly, we need to speak to that a little bit too here because I don't know about y'all, but I was born and raised in the Bible Belt. The Bible Belt. We are flushed with God talk. Okay, there's more churches in this town, I think, than anything else. And you see that around here. Honestly, we, there's so much talk about God, but honestly, sometimes it can just go in one ear, out the other. Sometimes it can just go straight over the head. It can just be kind of a part of the background noise of your life. We were spending uh, a little bit of time outside uh, yesterday. We did a campfire in our backyard with the kids. And uh, it wasn't until maybe 10, 15 minutes into the campfire that I actually heard the crickets in the background that had been there that whole time. They've been making their noise the whole night, but I didn't hear it until later. It just becomes so familiar, so part of the background. And honestly, the things of God can become so familiar that it's like those crickets in the background that, yeah, technically they're coming into your ear, but you're not actually aware of it. You're not actually listening to what's happening. Sometimes we can become so familiar, like, oh, I've been to church every Sunday, and I've been, here, I've been reading my Bible, and I feel like I know it all. But 
do we actually stop enough to listen to God's voice? Do we stop long enough to say, okay, Jesus, yes, I'm familiar with you. I've been around you. I've been around the things of God for so long, but here I am actually listening in this moment to what you have to say and ready for you to move. Are we going to allow Jesus to move beyond what we think is just conventional and typical and how he always does it? Do we have room in our lives for God to say something different? Do we have room in our lives for God to move in a different way? To use somebody else to speak to us that maybe we wouldn't have expected before? Or have we become too familiar? It's easy to do this, even as Christians, I'm telling you. I'm not, I'm not separating and saying, these are Christians, these aren't, these are. I could be a Christian fan and honestly just be in a fan season of my life and God need to redirect me and call me back to him. I can be in a too familiar season of my life and still be a Christian, but God's saying, okay, you need to come back to this new place where you're following me and there's room for the unexpected in your life. So, again, just like with a fan, there's hope. There's hope for the too familiar to come into this place of being a follower of Jesus. Because even if you look at it, these brothers and sisters that Jesus had that said he's out of his mind, that he's crazy, these are also people who came to follow him. You know, if you read the book of James, it's written by Jesus' brother. Honestly, that's one of the things that speaks to me most about Jesus really being who he says that he is. I have an older brother, and if he said that he was the Messiah, I would be the first in line to tell everybody that he's wrong. <laughs> I'd be like, don't listen to him. Do not listen to what he says. He's got it wrong. And he'd, he'd do the same to me. Just because think about that. Someone who grew up with Jesus, someone who's a brother, who knows him as intimately as anyone and can truly say of him, he is the son of God. There's something going on with Jesus for his brother to say that. And so there was hope for the brother. There's other brothers too. And even Mary, his mother, I'm sure she was one of the ones here saying he's out of his mind. She's there at the cross with Jesus. So there's room for the too familiar to move into a different direction and move into this follower category. And we can find ditches either way. Fans aren't familiar enough. The, the problem with the fan is they don't have this intimate, close, personal access and intimacy with Jesus. And that's a problem that needs to be corrected by way of the Holy Spirit. The too familiar, they maybe feel like they have too much access, that they've seen too much, that they've heard it too much. I've heard this scripture. I've been to this same uh, kind of uh, service before so many times. I've just heard it all before. They have a completely different problem that they need to have corrected. They need that wow factor and the spectacular and the extravagant that the fans are like, yeah, we see that. Well, the familiar, they need to be awakened to that a little bit more. If you find yourself too familiar you find yourself not expecting a miracle because you just, it's become the mundane, the ritualistic of your life to be a Christian. Well, then let the Holy Spirit speak to that and bring you into this place of following Jesus, being with him, being close to him, and also being ready to be sent out by him to do powerful, powerful things 
that can only be done in Jesus' name. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, and I'm going to finish this off here uh, reading in verse 31. What I'm skipping is um, a section of Scripture talking about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and eternal sin. So I know everybody wants to hear about that. We'll, we'll rewind a little bit uh, next time, and we'll come to that story, okay? So we're not skipping over blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Don't worry. Uh, but we'll come back to that. But here again in verse 31, it says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. All throughout these stories that we just read, the crowd is always present, and then even the familiar is right there too. We, we always we have these options kind of juggling around us. Am I just going to be a fan? Am I just going to show up for what God can do for me and not actually have any skin in the game of truly following him? Or am I just going to be content with a life of familiarity? Am I just going to be okay with having heard all of the Bible stories and knowing all the right things to do and going to church on Sunday mornings and whatever, just doing my due diligence? Am I just going to let familiarity be the story of my life? Or am I going to find this way with Jesus right there that says, yes, I want to be familiar, I want to be close to you, but I want to expect you to do the unexpected in my life. And I want to be sent out with your authority to go do some powerful things and believe for the miracles that you can do. Am I going to stop being a fan and just okay with seeing it happen from a distance, but truly get myself right in there with Jesus, follow him up the mountain, be right there close with him, saying no to myself, yes to him, and letting him use me in my life. I want us to be followers of Jesus. We've got the decision to make, honestly, every day. Am I going to follow him this morning? Am I just going to be a spectator? Am I just going to let, let it be too familiar to me? And again, the fans, the fans of this world, they're missing out on the personal, the personal intimate relationship with Jesus. And the too familiar, they're missing out on the spectacular. Jesus wants you and I to have both. He wants us to have both, to live a personal, close, intimate, connected life with him, and to see what powerful things he can do to be followers. So that's the question that I think every one of us needs to, to ask. Am I a fan? Am I a follower? Am I too familiar? You could back up and say, am I a foe? Am I just straight up against Jesus? And that needs worked on too. But for each and every one of us, am I truly following him? Or am I just excited about what I can get out of him? Or has it all just become in one ear, out the other? Let's let the Holy Spirit reawaken our hearts to follow him. I want to ask the, um, the ministry teams to come forward. We have prayer teams. If anyone needs prayer this morning, I, I'd encourage you to come up for, for any need, whatever it is, come up for that. But um, even before we do that, I kind of want to just speak a prayer over anyone. If you would, would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? I kind of just want a little bit of a time of uh, intimacy with nobody really looking around, but just kind of between you, me, and God. 
Is there anybody here this morning that would maybe find themselves, they, you look over your life and think, okay, I'm maybe a little bit too much in the fan camp, or I'm a little bit too much in the too familiar camp, and I really want to bring my life back into this follower of Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand and I want to pray with you. Thank you, Lord. I see that. And I'll, I'll just be real with y'all. I want to pray for myself too. Because these things, I, I see it in myself. I see that hand. I see those hands. Thank you so much for your honesty. Thank you for your vulnerability before the Lord. I believe that God wants to do a really powerful thing in, in our hearts this morning. So let's pray. God, I pray right now, especially for those of us who raised our hands, who confessed before you that maybe we're missing it a little bit. Maybe we're a little bit too familiar or a little bit too much of a fan. God, we want to follow you. So Jesus, give us the grace to do it. Thank you that you call us by name to follow you up the mountain, to, to pursue you, to seek you, and you want to empower us to do your will in this earth. You want to bring intimacy to us, Lord, and we seek that out right now. I pray that you would give supernatural grace to every single person that raised their hand. Whatever the need is, I thank you, God, that you fill it, that you would reawaken a vision of what it could be like to follow you, to pursue you, and Lord Jesus, that you would make it personal and intimate and that you would make it exciting and spectacular. Again, not for our own selves, but so that we would continue to follow you and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you again for your honesty. I truly am believing that the Lord's doing a supernatural work in us to truly be the followers that he's called us to be. So if you would stand, I want to speak a blessing over every one of us as we're dismissed here. I pray that the Lord would direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all be blessed.